had a rule in my house growing up, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the room that had a rule something like this. Maybe you still have this rule instituted at your house, and the rule was this. If you get in trouble at school, you get in trouble at home. That was just kind of my dad's rule, and so whatever the degree of trouble you got in at school, you could go ahead and just count on that, that twofold when you got home. And so if you got put in a timeout for 10 minutes, well, guess what? It's going to be two hours when you get home. Or I lived back in the day when uh, they used to paddle at school. I don't know if you remember this. There was, there was actually rules where you could hit a kid, and it was like, what is wrong with our world? Uh, Maybe that is what's wrong with the world. I don't know. But anyway, um, so it was just a rule that if you got it at, at school, if you got three licks at school, you're getting six licks when you get home. And so I had a stretch uh, for about 12 years where I didn't know how to behave. And uh, so I stayed in trouble a lot at school and at home. And there was one time in particular, though, I was relatively young and just kind of new to this getting in trouble at school kind of thing. It became something I became very good at. But at the, this was probably like first, second grade in that area. And so I had gotten caught passing notes. That's old school texting for those that don't know. So we were passing notes, and it was probably around, you know, like, do you like me, check yes or no kind of things. And so I had already been reprimanded a couple times on this. And she had told me, if I catch you guys passing notes again, I'm going to take out the paddle. And I thought, huh, I've never been paddled. I wonder what that's like. And uh, so fast forward a couple weeks, Guess what? We get caught passing notes again, but it was severe this time. We weren't passing notes to girls. We were passing notes to cheat on a test. It was a quiz that we had uh, taken, and, and so not only was it a passing of the note, which I had been instructed not to, now all of a sudden I got caught cheating. So out to the hall I went, and she knocked on a teacher's door because you had to have a witness, and sure enough, I get put up against the wall, and bam, 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 three licks. So I get home, and my parents just can sense these things, right? I didn't have to tell them. I just don't do well under stress, like hiding my cards. And so I came home, and I was obviously bothered. I didn't come home and do my normal routine. And mom's like, something happened at school today? And I was like, mm-mm. And so dad, you know, so we go through the whole routine. So we finally got down to the place where I had told them I got in trouble and what I had gotten in trouble for. And I remember my parents asking me, they said, why in the world would you cheat? What were you thinking? Now, I'm a church kid, so the best answer I could come up with was a church answer. So this is what I said. I don't know, the devil made me do it. (laughs) And my dad said, well, the devil's been getting you in trouble a lot lately. Maybe we need to beat him out of you. And they didn't. They were, they were good. But, you know, from that moment on, I kind of removed the devil from my life, kind of removed Satan. So here's what I kind of did. I thought he had gone. I thought he had disappeared. Like, well, it didn't work as kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. So is it really kind of something that is of substance? Is it something that's real? Is it something that's there? And as time went, you know, you kind of just put him in a category of a character on Halloween, right? You can buy a costume or you see them displayed in all sorts of cartoons and, and movies and all sorts of things. And so you kind of have this way of compartmentalizing Satan. You have a way of compartmentalizing or shelving this evil spirit to something that is just kind of there, but he's kind of just a character. 
And this text this morning, as we kind of close down Ephesians, I think Paul, in, in fact, some translations, it says that finally, I want to save some of the most important truths for you until the end. And so here Paul is closing this down, and he wants us to understand something, that Satan is real. See, he spent all kinds of time, thousands of words to this point, what we've divided into chapters, telling us about who God is. And God is is this majestic God, but then he kind of says, hey, but there's something else at play in the world. And he says, Satan is real. He said, evil is real. And he says that there is a struggle that's going to come between those things, but there is a struggle that comes as a result of this, and it is real. And some of you are feeling those effects. You are feeling the effects of evil in your life. I spent some time with a family a couple of weeks ago who had lost a, a grandson to, to addiction. And I'm telling you, evil is real. And they were staring face to face with, with the loss of something that evil caused. And so Paul says, listen, you need to know. That evil is going to take you to a bad place quickly. And it's going to be a place that, you know, what's going to be really difficult. But he says, listen, I need you to take hope because you're not helpless in it. That God has done something. This God that we've talked about. And, and, and it just kind of give you a recap, if you haven't been here through the series, we started out with who God is. Paul says, let me remind you, Ephesians 1. Here's who God is. God is a God who is holy. God is a God who is gracious. God is rich in mercy. He says he is great in love. And you need to know that that is the God that not only you serve, but that is the God who is in this with you. And he has given a sign. He has given himself in the form of Jesus to say, listen, I'm not just going to be gracious or rich in love or great in love from some distant place. No, I'm sending myself. I'm going to send the representation of me. I'm going to send me in the flesh. I'm going to send Jesus. And so we begin to understand who God is. And then we begin to understand because of who God is, here's what he did for me. So he sends Jesus and he he uses words like this. He said, I have chosen you. I have adopted you. I have included you. And and through that, I've rescued you and I have given you a new identity. I've made you new. It's not about you rehabbing the old self. No, it's about you stepping into the new self, this new identity. In fact, he says, I'm going to fill you with the full measure of who I am. And so then we begin to understand who God is and what He's done, and then we begin to be awakened to revealed God's plan and purpose for us. And we spent a few weeks on that, where we begin to understand that I become grounded, I become rooted in who God is. I become rooted and grounded in His character. I begin to understand that God, his, his mission for me, His plan for me is that He has created me to do good works, not so I can receive something, but no, so I can be in partnership with Him. That God created me anew, He created this new identity for me so that I can begin to partner with God. It's not just to please God so that I can somehow receive some, some, some sort of reward. No, He says, it's so that you and I can partner. And here's what happens in that, is that I become transformational transporters. 
I take the transformation that I've received and I begin to transport that into my workplaces. I begin to transport transformation into my neighborhood and into my family. And I begin to say, listen, there is a transformation that can happen from the inside out or from the outside in for you too. And God has so much. The same God who is rich in mercy and great in love toward me will also be that toward you. And so we begin to see that we work for the good and the unity of this new humanity. He says, and this is going to happen when we begin to put off or take off the old and really begin to put on the new. We put on Jesus and we begin to live a life worthy of the calling. And then we go, well, what is the life worthy of the calling? What's this? That I continue to grow in his likeness. I begin to watch what Jesus did and how he reacted and how he interacted. And I begin, that's the goal. A life worthy of the calling is a life lived in the footsteps and the shadows of Jesus. And I begin to rethink and I begin to redirect and I'm renewed by keeping things like unity and being gentle and being patient and being peaceful. And then last week we said there's a call to action. In fact, he says, wake up sleepers. There's a call to action. And he says, you have the opportunity to redeem time. And if you remember where we left last week, if you weren't here, go back and listen. He says, we get to redeem time from evil. He says, and you're going to do that by making most of every opportunity. So when you begin to see The evil that exists around you, the darkness that exists around you, the struggle that is around you. He says, because of all this back here, who God is and what he's done in this new identity, he says, you get to go in and redeem the time. But you have to be woke to do that. You have to be aware. You have to be on guard. And so here we are. We said at the last week of this series, and we are on the verge, some of us, some of us are already knee-deep in, but some of us, we are on the verge of moving into either a new identity, or we are in the, 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 on the verge of moving our new identity into this action. And Paul says, but hold up, there's one more thing I need to tell you, and it's a really big one. In fact, it might be one of the most important things, because if you don't grasp this, the rest will begin to fall apart pretty quick. He says, there is evil lurking. And he says, it will not matter if you invite it in. It doesn't matter that you've taken off the old, you've changed some habits that used to bring about all kinds of evil. But he said, even in this new identity where you're not living into some of the old habits of the old way, he said, you might not be inviting it in. But it's there. And he says, it's going to be a part of life, and you might not have noticed it as much as before. I talked to somebody just this morning who says, you know, sometimes when we really get in step with God, that's when, that's when it seems like everything just comes crashing in. And it might be things that when we were living this former life, you might not have noticed, but all of a sudden you're trying to walk in step with God, and you're going, you know what, God? I'm experiencing seemingly more evil darkness and pain and struggle than I've ever experienced. What's up with that? And Paul says, because it's there, and it's real. And he says, it's going to get more intense and it's going to come at you full force because of this new identity you need to be on guard. It's kind of like squirrels in the attic. Lori and I, we had shifted about, I don't know, it was probably 12 or 15 years ago. We had shifted, in coming back to Nashville, we had shifted from renting to buying. So now we are homeowners. 
You know, and when you're renting, you don't always notice everything or really care about everything because what? It's somebody else's property, therefore it's somebody else's property or problem. And so like if a doorknob doesn't work, you're kind of like, you know what, I don't care, I'm just renting this place. But all of a sudden, everything becomes magnified when you own it, right? You're like, man, this doorknob, what's up with this doorknob? It's got a little jingle in it. And next thing you know, you're spending three hours making 15 Home Depot runs. And you're like, it's just a doorknob. Well, you haven't seen me do work. But all of a sudden, all these things become big deals. And you are, you, I mean, a light flickers. You're like, man, I need to call an electrician out here. As before, you're like, ah, it's just the neighbor. You know? But that's where we were. We were laying one morning about, I don't know, 5 a.m. And I hear something in the attic. And it's like something's running laps. Through a process of me going up there and almost getting scared off of the ladder back down because this thing runs in front of me, we figured out we have squirrels in the attic. Now, if I was renting, I'd have shut that baby up and went, you know what, that's somebody else's problem. They're not inconveniencing me. It's not like they're sitting at my dinner table. They're not sitting on the couch watching TV with me. They're up in the attic. I don't care. But I made the mistake of getting on the Internet and figuring out what squirrels can do to an attic. It's not about eating insulation. It's about chewing through wire that starts fires, and when I see that, I go into full force. So I get a game plan, and I'm all about getting these squirrels, and so like five squirrels later, you know what? I have dealt with these things. We have had a company come out and patch up holes and all kinds of stuff. I mean, this thing was sealed. There wasn't, I don't know how air got in there, much less anything else, but that's what I did. And here's the thing. I didn't invite that in. But when they came in, and it was on my turf, and it was affecting my new home, my new place, when I'm trying to entertain friends and set up a communal space that we can host house groups in, I don't want squirrels in my attic. And so here's what I was left with. I suited up. I wish you could have seen me climbing up the ladder. I got, like, goggles and gloves, and I got, a, I got like, a cage because I wanted to live trap this. And, I mean, it was like I put on boots. I'm like, I'm just going in the attic. But... I had to suit up. And, and Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter. Evil is going to come in like squirrels in the attic. You may not be intentionally inviting it in, but he says it doesn't matter. It's still going to come. So you've got to be on guard. He says you need to be fully aware. In fact, he says you need to be expectant of that. He says you can't just bury your head in the sand and hope that it goes away. And he says you can't just, you know what, buy into, well, now that I'm a Christian, everything's going to be great. No, it's not, and it won't be. It doesn't make us less of a believer. In fact, I think sometimes it comes stronger. Wrestling with these things, wrestling with bad things, unfair things, evil things, is inevitable and unavoidable. The struggle is real. And I don't want you to go, oh, man, this is super discouraging. Like, I don't, you know, like I wasn't having a bad week as it was. Now, all of a sudden, I'm height, my antennas heightened to evil around me. No, Paul says, listen, I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to be intimidated. He says, I just want you to be tuned in. And here's what he says, starting in chapter 6, and we'll put it on the screen, verse 8. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not that it might come, but comes, 
you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, and in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith to which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. The challenge in this finale is this. The challenge is not understanding the words in Ephesians chapter 6. Guys, I could spend the next hour and we could walk through a word study and talk about what the belt of truth and understanding the words in Ephesians 6 is not the issue. The challenge in Paul's finale is coming to understand that we have a spiritual battle. And coming to understand that we have our own individuals and unique spiritual battles and how will we engage it. What we can't do is ignore it. What we can't do is pretend it isn't there. We can't complain about it like it's not fair. Paul says you've got to come to grips with your own spiritual battles that are coming. Or for some of us that are honest. And he says it's going to be vital that you understand that when those times, when those days, when those seasons come, you'd better be ready to engage it. It's facing the reality about what's real and that this struggle is real and it wants to get on you and it wants to disrupt you it wants to destroy you because that's what Satan does and Paul says listen you can't just pretend it's not there no you'd better suit up and so in verse 10 he says finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power I love that he starts here he starts here because he says, I want to reassure you of something. I want to confirm that God's strength is available to you. So before we get into suiting up and talking and identifying what the battle is going to be, he says, listen, I want to reassure you before I break the bad news or what could be disturbing news or intimidating news to you, he says, I want to reaffirm. I want to tell you and give you confirmation that God's available strength is to you and for you. He says, so therefore be strong. He says, continue. We've already set it up. I've already told you what God is and who he is and what he's doing for you. Just be strong in those things. Continue to draw strength from those things. This is an ongoing process. He says, you may not feel strong today, but keep on trying. Keep on attempting. Keep on being aware of who God is so that strength can, from, can, can come from that. He says, take courage in who he is and, and take courage in his power. So let me relieve some pressure from you. Being strong is not always dependent on your power. Sometimes I think we get in the midst of these and we do get intertwined or we do get discouraged or intimidated by evil and our first thought is, I have to do something to get myself out of it. Guys, I've seen this in the world of addicts and others and it's, it's that release. You need to be relieved of the pressure of you having to, to somehow muster this up. 
and somehow conjure this up on your own. He says, no. He says, be strong, but how? In his mighty power. Coming to understand that God is in the midst of this. It's the same power that he talked about in chapter 1. If you remember verse 19, it was described as this. He says that, that, that to you there is this incomparably great power for us. In chapter 3, he says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Get this, through the power that is at work within us. Not the power that we have somehow obtained on our own, but know that God's power is working through this. So when you get to this place where you go, how am I going to deal with this? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be confident in that. How am I going to get through this moment? How am I going to survive this layoff? How am I going to deal with the bad news? And how am I going to deal with an angry neighbor? And how am I going to deal with a world that constantly is expecting more from me than I have to give? How am I going to be able to stand in the onslaught of bad things that never seem to come to an end? Paul says, be strong. Continue to be strong in what? In the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he moves us to that. He says, okay, so now that we have this reassurance of who God is one more time, he says, put on the full armor of God. It's the same wording that he used a couple of phrases or chapters earlier when we found in chapter 4 when he was talking about putting on and taking off. He says, you got to pick up something. God's there, his, his mighty power's there, his great love for you is there, but there's going to be something that you've got to be uh, aware enough that you need to pick up. He says, so put on, pick it up, take it, take the equipment. What's the equipment? He says, it's the full armor of God. Let me give it to you another way, just a slight variation in how we'll say this. What he's talking about is he's saying, put on God's own armor. It's not something that God has thrown off the side of a truck and said, pick it up. No, he says, this is my armor. He says, you, you can put on my armor. You can begin to wear what it is that I wear. It's Paul saying, put on God's own armor. What he's doing is he's taking us back to places like Isaiah 59. In Isaiah 59, God is depicted as a mighty warrior. He's depicted as this mighty or armed warrior on our behalf. Listen to what he says. It's going to sound familiar. It says that God puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation. Over in the Psalms, Psalm 35, one of the psalmists says this. He says, contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Similar language. Listen to what he says. He's asking God, God, take up your shield and armor, rise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. And Paul says, the same God in Isaiah 59 and in Psalm 35 and a host of other places that is taking up armor for you, who is contending for you, the same mighty warrior God who is picking up these pieces in order to, 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 to fend off evil on behalf of you, he says, guess what? God has made his armor available to you. So when bad things come, he says, suit up. But don't suit up in some kind of superficial something that you have, again, crafted. He says, no, God has custom fit his armor. To you. So he says, now, saying that, 
Let me make it clear how big of a deal is. Paul says, this is, this is important that you understand who God is, that evil exists, that Satan is looking. He says, because there is something that is coming. There is a struggle that is real. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says you'd better pick up God's armor because you're going to need it. The end of verse 11, he says, you pick it up so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. He says, let me make it real clear what you're fighting against. You're fighting against evil. And you're fighting against rulers and authorities and spirits that are seeking to destroy you. He says, this battle is real. But he says, let me clarify some things. Because in order for you to live into the life that is worthy of the calling, in order for you to demonstrate God's love, you got to know who the battle's with. I'm going to be real honest. I think this is where we get it wrong sometimes. And this is where we misstep sometimes. Paul says, the battle's not with flesh and blood. He says, while we'll have conflicts with people, flesh, he said, you got to understand that it's fueled by the spiritual. He says, you got to acknowledge this, you got to be aware of this, that all good and bad can be traced back to spiritual realms. He says, Satan, spiritual, will use the physical, flesh, to bring about chaos that will have great effect and cause both physical, you personally, or your relationships, spiritual chaos every single time. And guys, this may be the most important thing I say all day. Because I think this is what's going to allow us to live into the new identity, to live into this new calling, to begin to make an impact, to be transformational transporters, so if you've tuned out this entire series, and you're like, man, we're on part nine. Is this thing ever going to end? Let me, let me just, I'm going to sum it up with perhaps the most important thing I will say in nine weeks. Don't mistake who the battle's with. Because when you do so, get this, you'll demonize the people who oppose you. Don't mistake, Paul says, who the battle's with. Because what you'll do is demonize the people that are different than you. I'll put it on the screen a different way. We have to realize that our true battle is with spiritual powers, not people. And only then will we find it both possible and easier to love both our neighbors and our enemies. And I'm afraid that what we've done is we have associated people who have been overtaken and involved in evil as bad people. And Paul says, you need to be clear that when you walk into, when you get into these places where you can sense that something's not right according to the will of God, 
Be careful that you don't pick a fight with the wrong thing. He says, make sure you understand that these battles are spiritual powers, not people. He says, and if you get it wrong, he says, it's going to cost you the opportunity to witness and testify to everything that we've talked about to this point. Who God is and what he's done and what he wants to use us all for. He says, so the only way we can begin to engage those who oppose and make any difference is this. Realize that the battle's not with them. But think about all the negativity. It's become personal. It's become fleshly. And he says, stop beating up on people and start beginning to pray and arm yourself against the evil that exists behind any action, good or bad. He says, begin to engage in that way. He says, love people where they are. And realize that, you know, anything undesirable. So when I begin to look at someone and I see things that are undesirable according to the will of God. When I begin to see dark things, I've got to understand that those things will not be overcome. Those things won't be won. Because I'm a good fighter. Those things will begin to be overcome with spiritual transformation. Not behavioral modification. And so darkness becomes light through spiritual battle, not picking a fight. And then he says, therefore, verse 7, 13 through 17, let me give you a handful of little practicals, he says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, he says, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit to which is the word of God. He says, suit up. Suit up. He says, wear truth like a belt. He said, I'm talking about indispensable truth. Wrap it around you. He says, not just any truth or a general truth or an ordinary truth. He says, no, it's a truth that is communicated in the gospel, that is embodied in Jesus. He says, put that truth around you. He says, put on a, a breastplate of righteousness. He says, here's what I'm talking about. Begin to protect your heart with holiness. Because out of that, you'll be able to act rightly. You'll be able to act rightly according to God's standard. You'll bring justice into some unjust places. He says, oh, and by the way, he says, strap on the shoes and be ready. Guys, I got the most tender feet in the world. And while I can't run fast, I can run faster with my shoes on than I can with my bare feet. And he says, you need to strap those shoes of readiness on so that, you know what, at any moment, at any time, you can stand on your feet, you can be alert, but you can move. You can move with the good news of peace. He says, it's not moving into some sort of, uh, of again, winning a fight. He says, no, you get to move into these dark places with peace and love and, and who God is and what he's done. He says, then take up a shield of faith. You know, the answer to the flaming arrows, if you will, of doubt and, and unbelief is a shield of faith. I love this imagery because these shields back in the day would be leather. Because everybody would fire flaming arrows. And so they'd soak these things in leather so that when they hit, the water that was absorbed into the leather would extinguish 
the flame. And he says, take up that shield so that when Satan hurls those flaming darts wanting you to to not believe or believe good enough or believe that you're good enough or when doubt creeps in, he says, that's what's going to extinguish it, but you got to pick it up. And then he says, don't forget the value and the protection that exists in the helmet of salvation. What he's saying is that live confident, that there is a confidence that you have in your salvation, the salvation that you have received through grace and faith. He says, don't let anyone lie. Don't let anyone get into your mind to cause doubt about your salvation because in that it's both protected, but that's empowering. And he says, take up the sword of the Spirit. Again, this message of truth, this gospel of salvation. He says, get ready. Be on guard. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I know that all of this sounds kind of aggressive, but it's really not. Here's what he's doing. He says, it's in these moments, in these readiness, that you'll be set up to defend, yeah, but you'll also be set up to demonstrate the wisdom and the power and the great love of God. It's positioning ourselves in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the chaos, to fight and stand up not just for ourselves against Satan, but to stand up and fight for those whom Satan is already currently destroying, even if they don't know it. Guys, the struggle's real. And we got to know what the real struggle is. It's not with people. It's much bigger than that. So be kind to people. Be patient with people. Be long-suffering with people. And come to understand it's spiritual, so be on guard and stand. And then as we close this, as we kind of wind this down officially, he says, oh, there's one more thing. Verse 18, he says, and pray. And pray. I think sometimes that prayer has become such a cliche thing to say, like, oh, I'm praying for you. I think we've just kind of, to a, and, and this has become really, a, made me even more aware of it in the last 30 days as we've come out of awakened that prayer is such a valuable line of defense, but it's also such a valuable piece in getting the wisdom in order to demonstrate who God is. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. He says, pray passionately in the Spirit. Pray that God has suited you and that God is continuing to show you who He is and continuing to give you strength. He says, pray passionately. Don't just pray a little. He says, no, pray on all occasions. Pray all kinds of prayers. Pray all kinds of requests. And then watch how God will interact and intercede for you, but also watch how God will infuse you and equip you to deal with whatever's out there, whatever comes next. And so as we wrap this up, I just want to ask, like, what's your next step? How can we begin to, to pray or continue to pray for you about the things that are lurking, the things that are on top of you, the things that, you know what, you don't know how you're going to deal with? Because I think Paul has already given a case as he's writing to a church, the value of a church in this. He says, listen, come together in these moments 
so that you can be a part of God displaying his great love, so that you can be a part of God displaying the courage that he has for you, displaying the healing that he has for you, displaying the strength that he has for you. And so we're going to end this series like we end every week, but we're going to end these series around tables. And it's, it's tables that we gather around as, as family. As the family of God, these adopted sons and daughters, all of us, we get to, to get around the table. And, and, and in this moment, we are reminded, the most important piece too, is that the battle is ultimately won. That God's already taken care of the end victory. And while there'll be some rough moments, rough patches, rough season, God says, take courage. You know, Jesus said it himself. He said, take courage. I have overcome this world. And Paul just says, but let me give you a few things that's going to make it a little easier to navigate until you get to the overcoming. And this table represents that. It represents the blood and, and sacrifice, God becoming flesh in order to not just save us, but to bring us into the family and to empower us and equip us. So that's what we're going to take together as we leave. And I want you to know that every single one of us are invited around this table, not because Wellhouse or because myself is the host. God's the host of this. And so he says, listen, if you are seeking, if you're searching, if you've already found, he says, you are welcome at these tables this morning. So I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, we want to, again, just gather up. Maybe you want to pray or maybe you want to share. I want you to know our shepherds are always in the back. Those are just people that we have entrusted to, to pray over uh, and to, to listen and to talk through. And so they're always back at respond. And so whatever it is that might be burdening you because evil's real. I want you to take an opportunity to do that if you want. Maybe you just want to sit and reflect this morning. Maybe you begin to, to start where Paul ends. Maybe you just begin with prayer and say, God, I don't really even have the strength to pick up a shield right now. God, I am absolutely worn out. I am beaten down. I don't even know if I can reach down to tie the shoe. And the belt of truth, I'm, God, I'm searching for truth. God, let's not even start with the breastplate of righteousness or holiness, man. My life is so unholy right now. And I don't want you to leave feeling hopeless in that. I want you to leave feeling helpless in that. God is a God who is great in love. And he has put a, other, a, a, a bunch of other imperfect people around you to maybe answer a question, to maybe provide some encouragement, to direct you toward healing and overcoming. I don't know what your need is this morning, but God does. And so I want to invite you into a moment of response, whether it's here or there or here, to just begin to open yourself up to the Spirit, to who God is, and watch Him begin to transform you and equip you with new identity and to call you into a life worthy of his calling. Father, this morning, I pray that you will equip and empower us to deal with our own stuff. God, I think sometimes we're so easily crushed because we're not armed. I think sometimes we seek to crush others so quickly because we're not dealing with our own stuff. So God, can we just all come to an agreement that while you are good, there's a force in this world that's not. And while it is not equal in power, it is still powerful. 
So Father, can we acknowledge not just who you are, but what is going to come and hurl darts our way because it, Satan doesn't, doesn't want us to believe that way. Satan doesn't want us to change the world. Satan wants us to live in chaos and hatred. Satan wants us to live in tension. And he's going to do whatever he can in order for us to, to create those things. Divisions, strife, and tension, and fight. One of the things that he's done is he's convinced us that our, our main battle is against people who are not like us. And I think sometimes God, he sits back and he laughs and he says, they don't even realize it's not the people, it's me. It's the power that exists in these other realms. And So Father, I just pray that you wake us. You put us on full alert as to what really is going on. And God, we will begin to suit up with you with your armor, and we will pray, God. We, but, but we're not just gonna pray and hope. But God, we're gonna we're gonna pray and be ready. I'm ready to to fight against injustice. I'm ready to fight against hatred. I'm ready to fight against anger. I'm ready to fight against things that are not holy. I'm ready to fight against division that exists within households and within race and within politics and within where we come from and, and where we were born. God, I, I'm ready. So Father, let's pray again that this table will remind us this morning that all of us have a fight, but all of us have been fought for. That God, you've gone to battle for us and you will continue to go to battle for us. So Father, may we celebrate that this morning. May we find confidence in that this morning. May we find peace in that this morning and may we begin to feel healing in that this morning. We pray all this through your son's name. Amen. You're dismissed to the tables.